Today we're coming to our fourth and final person in our walk through the part of Genesis, and we've been looking at the, um, we're going to look at Joseph today, um, starting today. We're looking at the line of men that people use to establish the nation of Israel, the very beginning of the book of the, of the scriptures, which is a pretty important thing, creating, creating the Jewish nation. Why? Because somebody was a really important Jewish man. Who would that be? Jesus. That might be a really important, really important guy. He comes through this line. God is creating the pathway to bring us the Savior of the world. And so we've been looking at those people that God used to establish the nation. And, um, and what we've noticed about these first three, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, is um, that they were just ordinary people that God did some extraordinary things through. That's what we're learning about. Uh, matter of fact, that's what we've been titled the whole series, this, that they're ordinary people with an extraordinary God. And what we've learned that we're going to look at, focus on today um, in the life of Joseph is that God is the star of the show. So many times we look at something and we think of the people involved, and the people involved are important, and we're going to look at the life of Joseph today, but we're going to look at it in a way in order to see how amazing God is. That's what we're going to think about today, how amazing God is. So we're going to look at some of the things in his life that reveal how extraordinary God is, because these things that we're going to look at are still extraordinary about God. If you walked in here today with a low view of God, I hope you walk out going, when you say God, you say, wow, that's the hope today. These things are still extraordinary about God, and these are extraordinary ways that still affect us that we're going to see about God as we look at the life of Joseph, the fourth in the line, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, the fourth patriarch. And so um, let's realize something as we look at Joseph. We're going to look at the amazing things about God in the life of Joseph recognize something about him, that if we're going to say, now let's go to the scriptures and look at his life, we'd have to read the last third of the book of Genesis, because his life is like a third of the book. And so for us to get a picture of these extraordinary things that God is doing, what I want to do is just kind of review a quick overview of Joseph's life so that we can pull some truths then out of his life. So what do we know about Joseph? We know that Joseph is the son of Jacob, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, and he is the 11th son in the line. Now, I would imagine this. I don't come from a big family. We had three. But Suzanne comes from five. Some of you come from bigger families. Your dad comes from 13. And so when you're number 11, your parents probably don't even remember your name usually, right? If you're number 11, I mean, who are you? You're, hey, number, you're 7? No, you're 12. No, you're 11. You know, but he's number 11 in, in this list of 11 sons. It's eventually going to be 12 sons. Um, and his father, but we find out about number 11, he is his father's favorite. Matter of fact, his, his father expresses his favoritism in, in some interesting ways. And one of the ways the scripture describes he, that he shows him his favoritism is he makes him a coat that's of many different colors. Um, who's ever heard of Joseph and the Technicolor dream coat, right? That's what this is. This is Joseph with the Technicolor dream coat. And so Joseph um, is loved by his father because he's loved by his father. Something happens. He's hated 
by his brothers because they're jealous of him. And as a young man, Joseph begins to have some dreams from God. One of his dreams that he has is about him and his brothers out harvesting a crop, harvesting wheat, and his bundle of wheat stands up and the other bundles bow down before him, before his bundle. Then another dream he has where the sun and moon and 11 stars, they all bow down before him. So he goes to his brothers who hate him already and goes, guess what the dreams I had. You know, you guys are going to bow down to me is what he's basically saying. Well, that made his brothers all the more angry with him and, and did, didn't, didn't like him. So one day when his brothers are out tending their flocks, because they were shepherds, out tending their flocks, Joseph's dad sends him out to check on his brothers. Well, on the way out there, he's wearing the what? Joseph's technicolor dream coat. And he's walking out through the fields and they see him coming with his coat and they devise a plan. They said, let's get rid of this guy. So what they do is they toss Joseph into a pit, and they're going to let him die. Then they have a better idea. Well, let's not just let him die. Let's drag him out of the pit, tie him up, and sell him as a slave to a passing caravan with Ishmaelite traders who take him then into Egypt and sell him as a slave. Once in Egypt, he's taken to a slave trade, and he is sold to a guy named Potiphar, and he's a, he's a leader in the government in Egypt. And God blesses Joseph so much that Potiphar puts him in charge of everything he owns, all of his house, all of his business. He becomes number one. But once again, things kind of turn sour for Joseph. Um, Jacob, because what? Abraham, Jacob, Joseph. <laughs> because he's a good-looking guy, and Potiphar's wife starts coming on to him. He says, I won't sin against God. I won't sin against my boss. And things happen. She lies about him, accuses him of sexual assault, which gets him then tossed into prison. So he's been in a pit. He's been sold as a slave. He gets thrown into prison. And while he's in prison, God blesses him so much that the head of the prison puts him in charge of the entire prison. While he's in prison... Some of the inmates, other inmates, prisoners there, have some dreams. They don't know what they mean. He interprets their dreams, and their dreams come true exactly the way that he said they would. Then later, Pharaoh has a dream. No one can figure out what it means. And they say, hey, we know a guy in jail who can interpret dreams. They bring him out. He interprets Pharaoh's dreams. And Pharaoh is so impressed that he puts him as number two man in all of the country of Egypt, and then as number two, this huge famine hits the world. His brothers are starving along with his dads. They come to see him in Egypt to buy food. They don't know that it's him because he he's wearing different clothing, looking different. And finally, he reveals himself, I am your brother. And they gather together. They leave the promised land, come to Egypt, and they all live happily ever after. Sorta. Sorta. Now... That was one-third of the book of Genesis in about three minutes, okay? Um, from this overview, we see some things that reveal to us how amazing God is. And I just want to look at three of them this morning because they're things that are amazing for us, that affect us as well, right? The first one we see in the life of Joseph is this. In Joseph's life, we meet the God. Remember, our focus today is on God. Our focus is how I want you to walk out with a higher view of God than you walked in with. That the, in Joseph's life, we meet the God who
who speaks to ordinary people. The God who speaks to ordinary people. You remember giving those thoughts? Well, let's think about this for a minute. Joseph is just an ordinary guy. He's number 11 in a group of brothers who make their living um, watching, taking care of sheep. It was the lowest of society kind of job. He's no prince. He's no political leader's son. He's just this average, work-a-day, ordinary guy. God. Did I say the wrong name again? Average Joe. Average Joe. There we go. The average Joe. But God. I think we say this word, but God. God. God, big G God, the creator of everyone, every, everything, the one who created, spoke the cosmos into being, and the one who dreamed up hummingbirds. Think of that. That God speaks to Joseph. He speaks to him through dreams, telling him that one day his entire family would bow down to him, which they did. He speaks to him about dreams. When Pharaoh's baker and cupbearer had dreams while in prison, God told him what the dreams meant. And when Pharaoh had a dream that no one could interpret, God told Joseph what the dreams meant. God spoke to Joseph. Have you ever considered how amazing that statement is? We often say things in the church world like this, well, God told me, or God said but have we ever considered how, how amazing that is? We are finite beings. Psalm 103 says we're just dust, is what we really are. So basically, we're a speck of dust in a vast universe. If you put things in prison, now God loves that speck of dust. But really, what, what are we? We're, there's almost 8 billion people on the planet. Earth. Have you ever sit there and think, there's almost 8 billion people, and God speaks to you? God, who is unimaginable, actually communicates with us little specks of dust. And in my mind, that is extraordinary. He still communicates us to us like he did to Joseph. In it, to Peter, Peter wrote this, um, or it's written about Peter, in Acts 2 it says this, when Peter's preaching, Peter says this. He says, and it shall be in the last days, which we're in the last days right now. The last days are from when Jesus ascended until Jesus returns. That's the period of time in the church world calls the last days. It shall be in the last days, says God, that I will pour forth my spirit on all mankind, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on my bond servants, both men and women. I will in those days pour forth of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. Well, he's talking about the fact that he will communicate with us. He will prophesy. He will, he will talk to us and we'll talk for him. Peter quotes the Old Testament prophet Joel and told us that in these last days, God will still speak to and through people. And he says to everybody, to young and old, to male and female, so that when Katie can pick up a brochure and she has a Jesus moment, she said, what was that? It was God speaking to Katie. That we are a piece of dust in the vast cosmos that God loves, but a piece of dust in perspective. And God, the God who made hummingbirds, speaks to us. He doesn't always speak to us in ways like this, extraordinary ways, through dreams and visions and prophetic words. We know he speaks to us mainly through this still small voice, 
that you can't really describe to somebody else, but you have a Jesus moment and you go, God, who made the cosmos, somehow talked to me. And he also, of course, his main way speaks. He speaks through his word, through the written word. And when he speaks through his word, it's more than just the Bible giving us principles and truths to live by. God actually speaks to us personally through the written word. There's an author I love. His name is um, Robert Mulholland, and uh, he's a professor and a a theologian, and he explains it like this about God speaking through scriptures. He says, what I like to think of as the dynamic inspiration of the scripture, not only is there the dynamic of God's inspiration in the writing of the scripture, so we know that that, that, you know, the, the authors of Scripture, that when, when Peter writes, the Spirit somehow moved on him to write it. So not only is there a dynamic of God's inspiration in the writing of the Scripture, Mulholland says this, there is also the dynamic of God's inspiration in our reading of the Scripture. In other words... God actually inspires us as we read the scriptures so that he speaks personally and directly to us through his written word. That's why at times when you read the Bible and you're in a situation, you're looking for an answer, and all of a sudden something like jumps off the page at you. And you go, oh my goodness, God spoke to my heart. We were in a staff meeting this week and we were talking about a really difficult thing. And I said, well, let me read something to you that as I'd been our, we were just on a six-day silent prayer retreat last week and that the Lord had really spoken to me. And I opened up the scriptures and I said, let me read this. And as we read it from the Gospel of Luke, it was as if God was speaking to us in the moment because he was speaking to us in the moment through his, through his divine word. So think about it. God speaks to us ordinary people. You don't think you're important? You're a little speck of dust. You don't think you're important? You're such an important speck of dust that the creator of the universe speaks to you, if you'll listen. In my book, that's extraordinary. Right? Right. John agrees. Now, there are other things we see in the life of Joseph that show us how amazing God is. Think of this one. In Joseph's life, we meet the God who accomplishes good in our lives through what others mean for evil. God accomplishes good in our lives through what others mean for evil. I don't think anybody denied a statement I'm going to say right now. Joseph's brothers were evil. (laughs) How else can you say it? Joseph's brothers did evil stuff. Can you even imagine ten brothers being so jealous of their little brother that they would plot to kill him, but instead of killing him, they decide to make money off of him by selling him as a slave into a foreign land? It's evil. You know, a lot of us have been watching a movie lately about exactly that, selling people basically into slavery, in this case sex slavery, for a profit. That's the level of what they did to him. They sold him into slavery for a profit. They meant to destroy their brother. Oh, you're a dreamer, all right. We're going to bow down to you. We'll show you bow down to you. They meant to destroy their, their brother. But God, our amazing God, used their evil intentions to actually bless 
Joseph. Because they sold him into slavery, he ends up in Egypt working for Potiphar. And because he was working for Potiphar and his wife lied about him, and he was tossed back into prison, another evil action done in his life. And because he was in prison and he met Pharaoh's servants, who eventually told Pharaoh that Joseph could interpret dreams, which eventually resulted in Joseph being put in charge of all of the economy of Egypt as the number two person in power over all of Egypt. Friends, look at it. Joseph ended up being more blessed in his life in Egypt than he would have ever been if he had lived in his days out with his family in the promised land. Because think about what happened to his family in the promised land. His brothers eventually come to him begging to buy wheat because they're starving to death in the promised land. And if he would have never been sold into slavery and never been thrown in prison, and not all these things bad happened, he would have been with them Matter of fact, they wouldn't have had a place to go to to buy wheat. Why? Because the dream that he interpreted seven years earlier said there was going to be a famine, which he then, Pharaoh put him in charge of collecting all the wheat so that Egypt had wheat and no one else had anything. And he then is number two in charge. But if he'd stayed at home, him and his family and everybody else would have probably died of starvation. God did it all. And Joseph understood that his situation, his his place of blessing, was all the result of our amazing God using people's evil intentions to bring about good for Joseph and for other people. In the very last chapter of the book of Genesis, Joseph is speaking to his brothers about why, um, what they had done to him, and they're afraid dad's dead, and now they think that dad's dead, he's going to now come in and get his, his vengeance on them. And they're afraid, and he says this to his brothers, the ones who dropped him into a pit and then pulled him out and wrapped him up in ropes and sold him as a slave. He says, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result, to preserve many people alive, that God worked it out. Do you want to be amazed by God? He accomplishes good in our lives through what others mean for evil. To me, that just reveals how far above and beyond God is compared to me, to the rest of humanity. Let's be honest. We people think we're pretty smart and capable at times, and we are in comparison to us. But God is so much beyond us that he turns people's plans around in order to care for and to bless his people. What others mean for evil, he turns for good. It just reminds me of the words of the prophet Isaiah when he wrote this. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. I just think that pondering this reality about God helps me to elevate him even higher in my mind. And I hope it does for you. Which is, um, which is having a high view of God is a right and a necessary and a proper narrative about God. Because sometimes we create God 
in our own image. Friends, it's the other way around. God is God. We're created in His image, and He is infinitely greater than we can imagine. Right? You ready for the third one? Let's consider one more thing we see about God from the life of Joseph. In Joseph's life, we see see the God who accomplishes His divine plan through twists and turns. The God who accomplishes His divine plan through twists and turns. Now, this is similar. You say it's the same thing you said. No, it's not. It's similar to the last one, but also profoundly different. Because not only can God bless His people through what others mean for evil, but also He accomplishes His eternal divine plan through the twists and turns of life, of our lives. And so let's think about Joseph's life. God had a divine plan that was so much bigger than simply blessing or vindicating Joseph's life. We say, oh, this is all about all the going to Egypt and stuff. It's all about vindicating Joseph's life and blessing him. No, 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 no. God had a plan so much bigger than that. God's plan included Joseph, but extended from the beginning of creation of the world and extends throughout all of eternity. Joseph was just one little speck of dust, albeit a very important speck, a part of God's divine, eternal plan. Through Joseph, God is preserving and establishing the nation of Israel, from which Jesus would eventually come as Savior, and which is the central focus of God's plan for His activity among mankind. Those twists and turns in Joseph's life weren't just about his eventual blessing, but were also about the working out of God's eternal plan. See, friends, God has something much bigger going on than any person's individual life. Sometimes we think the whole world revolves around us. We're supposed to come to the age where we grow up and realize it doesn't revolve around us. It revolves around him, and we're just part of it, a speck but a very important speck. So God has something much bigger going on than any person's individual life, yet God works through individual lives to bring about his plan. And I think about that, my head hurts. It's mind-boggling how it happens. Some of you play chess. You know why I don't play chess? I can't think five moves ahead. It's like, it hurts my brain. Maybe when I retire and I'm not dealing with everything else, I want to play chess. Probably not but I don't. But I'm saying, if, if we think that's complicated, think of God. Think of what He does. He takes all the twists and turns of every one of our lives and He weaves them together in this beautiful tapestry of a beautiful picture that He's creating for all of eternity. Friends, I hope that our realization about God's ability to orchestrate all of this simply leaves us in awe about God, that we conclude that we really don't have the faintest idea about how amazing God really is, right? He's that big. Why doesn't the worship team come up this morning? So my hope today is that we're just absolutely amazed by God, that we look at how God is revealed in Joseph's life and we just sit back in awe and are drawn into doxology. We're drawn to worship. And I can think of no better way to end than by worshiping our amazing God. So I invite you to stand with me this morning.